When I first moved to Pasadena to go to Fuller Seminary, I just had like one focus, and that was I was going to get a master's degree, I was just going to study, just totally immerse myself in studying and get into that, get a, uh, and it was a master's degree, not a Mrs. degree or an MRS degree, which people kept telling me, are you going to seminary to get an MRS degree? Like I was going just to like find a man. No, I was going for a master's degree, thank you very much, and ended up with a master's of divinity degree. But I was so focused that that's all I wanted to do. I, I was in my 20s, I had come out of ministry, and I had dealt with like major girl drama, major girl drama. I'm like, girls are for the birds, whatever. And then I had been hurt by boys, and I'm like, boys are stupid. And so I don't need anybody. I'm just going to go, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to ace everything, and I'm going to graduate. That's, that was my plan. It was just me and Jesus, right? Me and Jesus. That's all I need. But then three to four weeks in, I start feeling lonely, and there was a concert on campus, and I didn't have anyone to go with, and I remember sitting in my car crying when I got back to my car after class, because the people were going into the room where the big concert was going to be, and I wasn't going to go, because I didn't have anyone to go with. And so I realized I might need a little more than just me and Jesus. I'm going to need some friends while I'm here. And I know that in a room with this many women, there are at least a few of you that get that. That maybe you've been hurt by someone, you've been hurt by women, they've backstabbed you, or they've hurt you, and you're just like, I just, I get along better with men, I just don't need women friends. Or I don't have the time to invest in these friendships. Um, I just don't, I don't wanna go there, I'd rather just kinda be on my own. Um, but then life throws you a curveball, and you're left alone, and there's nobody there to kind of come alongside you. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. We need friends. Like, that's how we're wired. We need friends. We have a desire. We have a desire to be known and to be loved in spite of all of our mistakes, in spite of our flaws. We have a desire to have somebody with us in the dark places and kind of really know us. That's why Jesus and the cross are so wonderful to us because he fully knows us and he loves us. To be known and loved anyway is a beautiful thing. There's nothing like it. I think friendship is the perfect topic for our last month in our series on rest and refreshment because it's in friendships that we often find rest and refreshment and laughter and camaraderie and all of those things. We learn to laugh again, right, with our friends. God decided early on that we aren't good on our own. I mean, like he literally said that, like it's not good. Jesus understood that it wasn't okay for man to be alone. Uh, he had a lot of friends. He had John the Baptist, Lazarus, Mary, Martha. He had his 12 closest disciples, the apostles. Whenever you read about his 12 disciples or you read about the apostles, think friends because that's who they were to him. They were Jesus' squad. Like that's, they were more than just his followers. They were his friends. Jesus encouraged friends, 
He comforted friends. He forgave friends. He grieved with and over friends. He sacrificed for friends. He entrusted himself to friends and was vulnerable. Not everyone, but some of them, the close ones he did. And in return, he had loyal friends to pray with him, to laugh with him, to defend him, to look out for him. Did you guys know that Jesus was already building friendships with his disciples before he called them to like really follow him into full-time ministry? That he knew them. That's why they dropped everything so quickly. Some of them were John the Baptist's disciples. And they understood John's message, that the Messiah was coming soon. John told his disciples, I'm the forerunner of the Messiah that's coming. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. In both Hebrew and Greek, the word way means a road, just like it does for us. I live on Iris Way or whatever. It means a road. And the tradition in the Middle East was the roads would be fixed up or made straight right before a dignitary or a king or an important person was going to be coming down the road. So right before the king would travel, a messenger would go out and tell people, make straight the way of the king. Fix up your roads because the king is about to come. Because the roads deteriorated quickly, there was no, you didn't have any reason to keep them up all the time. So they would just fix them up right before the king was going to arrive. So John declaring that he was the voice shouting, repair the road. That told them the Messiah is about to get here. If he's telling us to repair the road, then he's about, he's about to come. So when Jesus appeared and John said, Behold the Lamb of God, they began to follow him. And for some of them, this was a while before his official follow me statements. They were already, on John's word, began to follow him. That's why they left their nets. That's why they left what they were doing. They had already been following him and becoming friends. As with our own friendships, Jesus was closer to some more than he was to others. He had many disciples. It wasn't just the 12. He had many, many disciples that were following him and learning from him. He had his 12 inner disciples, or the apostles, and then he had an inner circle of what, what many say are his three best friends, Peter, James, and John. And John would say he was his, like, best friend, like they were the closest. He shared some things with everyone, more personal things with the 12, like the Last Supper, but then he reserved his most intimate moments for the inner circle. And it's funny, as I say this, I think of some of the young women that I know that are going through hard times, they will share their most intimate stuff on Snapchat with everyone before they tell the person that's closest to them. Does that make sense? It's like backwards. Like I used to know our birth mom when she was going through a hard time and it was mad at me, it would come out on Snapchat first. And I was like, okay. So no, Jesus was like, share some, share more, share yourself with those that are closest to you. He knew the importance of friends. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes 4. It's Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You can do it in your Bible. You can do it on your phone. I just ask if you do it on your phone. Don't start checking your email and Facebook and shopping on Amazon. 
all that kind of good stuff. So this section of scripture that I'm going to be reading has been characterized as the problem of the second. It covers three situations. The absence of an heir, the presence of a successor, and the advantage of a companion. And all of these reference the need for a second person. I'm going to start in verse 9. I'm reading from the NIV today. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. I want you guys to read this one with me, this, this second part of verse 10. But pity anyone, all out loud with me, ladies, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So you often hear this at weddings. Um, But it's actually a beautiful picture of friendship and why we need friends. And this isn't addressing one as an unmarried person. Um, It's just addressing one person. So it says two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. The teacher in Ecclesiastes would say, doing life together is better than doing life alone. Like if I was going to title this, that's what it would be. Doing life together is better than doing life alone. Um, The text isn't as much about the wages in return um, as it is about the circumstances. Two people can complement each other by working together. And the word complement is just you can enhance someone else's work. You add to someone else's work work. Of course, as women, we won't turn down compliments also while somebody's working with us together. You can compliment me too, as well as complimenting. Basically, we can lift heavier things. The job goes quicker. We get more done when we work together. So I'm going to actually ask you ladies for some input here. What is something that is harder on your own, but easier and better when you do it with someone else? Just yell it out. Working out and moving furniture, right? Moving furniture, moving from one home to the next, unpacking and packing the pantry, working out. You have someone to tell you that you can't leave after seven minutes, right? <laughs> it's like, come on, let's go. What's another one? What, cleaning house? Oh my God, isn't it easier to clean someone else's house? It's easier than your own? Like, I'll go clean your house any day, and it's like life-giving. Cleaning mine is like, ugh, it's horrible. It's easy, it's, yes. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. You went like this. No? Moving a house, painting a room. I hate painting. Like, please come paint a room with me or for me. (laughs) You know, whatever one works for you. Child care. I had a good friend call me the other day, and she said, I'm going to ask you a big favor. Can we drop my daughter off tomorrow at noon and pick her up the next day in the morning? It's going to save her nine hours of driving with us. And her daughter is a friend of my daughter. And it was like, yes, absolutely, drop her off. She's a delight, you know. But I also have friends that I could say, I'm in a bind. I need to drop off my kids, or I'm in a bind. And I have friends that will be there for me, and I can drop off my kids no matter the situation. Um, And carpooling, that's another one. 
You drive one way, somebody else drives the other way. It's just easier when there's another person. Bible study, because that's another one that'll tell you you can't stop after seven minutes. <laughs> you know, yes, we, we spur each other on. We keep each other going. That's what this is talking about. Your friends can help you when you can't do something on your own, whether it be physical, labor, or emotional. Lifting the weight of shame, right? Your friend is going to come alongside you and do that. They're going to help you deal with unforgiveness or forgiveness. They're going to help you carry your burdens. Shopping for clothes. <laughs> to tell you you shouldn't buy that shirt, right? <laughs> You don't want to bring the one that just tells you that looks awesome on you for everything. <laughs> Jesus wanted a big return for his labor to increase the kingdom, right? So he gathered friends. Doing life together is better than doing life alone. Verse 10, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. If you've been roller skating, snow skiing, ice skating, water skiing, or maybe you're just a little clumsy like me. Did you see me almost trip earlier? Um, you know what it feels like to be helped up. Or maybe that addiction you had, or the divorce you went through that had you on your knees, the crippling anxiety, the lean season financially, where you needed someone to just come along and just help you up. Because sometimes it feels easier to stay down. And not get up. I know a woman who doesn't prioritize friendship. Uh, she pours into her family and all the scheduling and all of that 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 requires. Um, but she doesn't pursue relationships. And when things get hard in that family, whether it's finances or marriage or anything like that, she bears it herself. And when she falls, there's no one there to pick her up, to give her a hand and help her out. In Luke 22, verse 28, Jesus tells his 12 disciples at the Last Supper, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. Jesus' closest friends were those who had stuck by him in the hard times. Not perfectly, but they did. Have you ever been through a difficult time, and when the dust is settled, it's kind of a litmus test, and you know who your real friends are? I've been there. Now, I want to point out that Peter would have failed that test because he denied Jesus three times in Jesus' hour of need. He would have failed that test. But did Jesus write him off? Jesus was willing to forgive and reach out for reconciliation. And the Holy Spirit told me that that's for someone here this morning. You've been hurt by a friend. You thought that they would be there for you, and they weren't. And you've really held them at arm's distance since then. Um, but there's reconciliation. And this is a friend, not a boy. It's a girlfriend. 
and it's time to reach out for some reconciliation and forgiveness. So this verse in Luke, where Jesus says that, it makes me think about the garden that he was about to enter. He was scared. He was. He was stressed to the point of, of sweating blood. He was about to be abandoned by the Father, but he surrounded himself with his closest friends. In Matthew 26, maybe I'll just read it from here. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So he let them see him at his weakest. He was vulnerable. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as I will, but as you will. And we always focus on Jesus in these moments, but he brought his friends with him. And they let him down. And sometimes your friends will let you down too. He came back three times and they were, had fallen asleep. They were trying. They wanted to be awake. They wanted to be praying, but they were so tired, they kept falling asleep. But of course he forgave them. He did not hold that against them. So back to Ecclesiastes. If they fall, it's physical but also metaphorical. I read this great quote. If one or more of them fall in any way, as into any mistakes, errors, sins, dangers, distresses, the one will lift up his fellow, will hold him up if he be falling. A friend is going to pick you up and is going to turn you in the right direction if you've fallen into sin or any struggle or any sort of calamity. A friend is there for you and with you. Verse 11, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Again, this is not just for a married couple or a man and a woman. It's a practical instance about how two people and the, this purpose of warmth when they come together. Um, when Darren and I were engaged, we talked about going camping um, when we got married. And he was all about buying this couple's sleeping bag. And I was like, that is a hard pass. Like, I was in my 30s, I was totally independent, and I'm like, oh no, we are not going to share a sleeping bag. I will have my own bag, thank you very much. I was so, my poor husband, I was just super independent, and he had these romantic hard eyes for sharing a couple's sleeping bag, and I was like, oh, no, I, I'm fine in my own bag, get off my space. You know, we'll get married, but I still want my space. It's super fun marrying somebody in their 30s. Um, we ended up at some point using one once, but I, it was just like, it was funny. <laughs> if two people lie together, they have heat. It's, it's thermodynamics. Did you know that after birth, babies can't adjust their own body temperature? So if you have a vulnerable newborn um, that needs to be kept warm, a mother's body is better than an incubator. And so when we adopted Destiny, one of the first things I did was I popped her into my tank top. There's a picture somewhere. 
because skin to skin for bonding and for warmth, and it regulates her temperature to be the right temperature. With adults laying side by side in the cold, allows their body, I don't know all the science, my science teacher friend here would know, um, they don't necessarily share the heat, but where it's open to the environment, the heat escapes, and where they're touching, there is almost an equilibrium that's reached where they can share heat and they stay warm. God made us to need each other. We need each other. I think it works emotionally and spiritually as well. A good friend sees when your heart is cold to the Lord, to your family, to the world, to yourself, when it's hardened, they know how to stir you up. Like if there's coals and they're cold, they will stir you up spiritually. They stir your passions. Your friend knows how to draw you out and warm up your heart when you are shutting down. A friend warms the heart. And if I could find a mug that said that, I would have given one away today. There should be a mug. A friend warms the heart. Wouldn't that have been perfect? Should have gone to Cafe Art and made you guys one. Handed it out. Verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So the teacher here is talking about a physical attack, like a robber. And when there's two of you, you pull out your kung fu, right? Or you do one of those fades where one goes this way and then the other one goes this way and you have a plan of attack. Nobody else plans attacks if somebody comes up on you. I don't know kung fu, but I can look like I know kung fu. Scare them away. So he's talking about a robber attacking them. And he's saying two people are better than one person. But you can be overpowered by your teenager or your toddler or your boss or your spouse or your sister. You can feel overpowered. The devil. You can feel overpowered by the devil. You need your friends for encouragement, prayer, advice, direction, wisdom. Someone to stand up and defend you. Someone to stand up and intercede for you. Someone to just stand with you when the attack comes. Put up the shield of faith to cover both of you. Friends are awesome. Again, when you hear this at weddings, you hear the cord of three strands is like husband, wife, and Holy Spirit, which is an awesome application. Um, But in context, the teacher is saying that just like two are better than one, three is even better, all the more. And so, um, also, notice the sticks on your table. There's three in a bunch. There's an Aesop's fable about a bundle of sticks. And there's a dad, and he he has three sons that just won't stop arguing. So he brings them a bundle of sticks, and he hands it to each one of them to try to break it. And they can't. But then he unties it, and he gives each child a stick, and they're able to break it easily. So he was teaching them that the unity among themselves was going to be their greatest security against a common enemy. We have a common enemy, and that's the devil, and he's going to come at us, but if we can be unified with friends and have people with us, that's going to be our greatest security, along with the Holy Spirit. You'll see on your table, there's these little cords. They're little three-strand cords. I had those made up for you to just tuck into your Bible. 
as a reminder, because some of you really are going to need this, that you need friends. If there aren't enough cords on your table, there's going to be more on other tables. So make sure you grab one. But just as a reminder, and I have it connected at the top, but then frayed at the bottom, because when we come apart, that's kind of what we look like. So it's a reminder, when you, when you find yourself, you open the word and you're on your own and you feel alone, that's going to remind you, go get a friend. Go call someone, go reach out to someone. You need friends. So go ahead and take that, stick it in your Bible, put it somewhere where you're going to remember it. So the point of this text is, again, doing life together is better than doing life alone. I'm going to keep saying that. A friend is going to help you get the job done, help you carry your load, warm your heart, and defend you in battle, in spiritual battle. So what does friendship look like lived out in your daily life, in your day-to-day, with work and school and family and church? You should have a handful of people that you can rely on, that you can trust with everything, that you can be safe with. And you should be a safe person that will encourage someone else, speak truth to someone else, care about someone else, let them into your world and move into their world. Then you have accountability. You have a a companion for when you need help, for fun, for advice, for prayer. They will be Jesus' hands and feet to you, and you can be his hands and feet to them. And Facebook friends don't count. I saw y'all, some of your Facebook things. I went and looked, and some of you have like thousands of followers. You know, I think the average is like 600 or something, right? These are your Facebook friends. It even calls them friends. I'm not talking about the people that like and comment on your posts. I'm talking about the friends that know the garbage that's really going on behind your posts, right? That's going on truthfully in your family or in your life right now. Jesus had a lot of followers, like those that follow you on Instagram and Facebook. He had a lot of those, but he pulled out friends. I think social media fools us into thinking we're connecting with friends when we're not. And we can be totally alone, but we're super connected with friends, but we're still alone. So I'm going to challenge you this morning to connect with the real world. Connect with women in your life and have like face-to-face friendships. Meet someone for coffee. Meet someone for dinner. Um, My baby naps right now. Well, she's going to be two, so she's my toddler. Naps right now. And so I will just have someone come to my house and we'll walk around the park. And then I can talk to them and it's like, you, do you fit it in where you can fit it in? You have to make time. If you're at an office, grab a new friend, go to lunch, walk around the complex. Just make time. Don't just sit in your car with your iPad or sit at your desk and eat lunch on your iPad or on your phone. Take, go to lunch with someone. Go to coffee with someone. Making friends requires reaching out, requires being vulnerable, You have to set aside time for it. You have to make time. It's an investment. If you meet someone that you think, I could really connect with that person, get her phone number. And then it's just a text 
or a call. Hey, do you want to do coffee sometime? It sounds so small, but it gets the ball rolling toward friendship. That's how I make all my friends. Like that's, you just have to set up one coffee or one dinner or one walk and you begin to build that friendship. And I know it can be hard for introverts. I get that. Um, but I know you can do it. Even if you just have a couple of friends that you let in, but reaching out just for coffee or something. I know you guys can do it. Um, you can, and okay, what about finding friends as an adult? Several years ago, I found that I didn't have any really good mom friends. Um, not that I could really confide all my mom stuff with. My best friend, my kids are like her kids, and so um, she doesn't totally get where I'm at. My homeschool mom friends are all 10, 15 years younger than me um, because I'm an older mom, and so they weren't really where, where I was. And um, so there was some bunco thing, and, someone, and I had to invite someone. And I was sort of an acquaintance with Christina Vanden Heuvel here at Cornerstone. Her, dad, her husband is a is on staff here, and um, I was an acquaintance, and I thought, I'm just going to invite her. She's always so real and down-to-earth, and that's the kind of person that I need to be friends with. So I texted her, and I said, hey, I'm going to a bunco thing. Can you go? And she said yes, and I about fell over because I, I, I mean, it's still always like, okay, okay, I'm going to go with somebody new. And I brought her, and we talked in the car about things... Like, there was a holiday and Super Bowl, and she's like, and we didn't get invited anywhere. We just were home, and I go, we didn't get invited anywhere for this. We had nowhere to go either, and oh my gosh, we could be friends. And that building on that, with a dinner here, a coffee here, a phone call here, something happens in her life, and I step in, something happens in my life, she encourages me, and now she is my closest, like, I call her my closest mom friend. She is just, I, she's my sister, and that was as an adult that that was built and fostered and grown. And so it can be done. Relationship is important. Friends matter, so make them a priority, like truly face-to-face -face priority. They take work and sacrifice, but it's worth it. You have people there for you when you need them, and you can be there for them. Two are better than one. I'm going to end talking about this show. I've just started watching a show called Castaways. Anybody see that? It's supposed to be a social experiment where they take all these people from different places in life and they put them on this string of deserted islands. And it's not like Bachelor or Big Brother or anything. There's no, there's no like weird stuff. It's just like normal people coming onto these islands with... They, their bag is gone, and they ha they're going to see how they survive. Do they join up? Do they stay alone? How are they going to handle it? And I saw two types of people. I've watched two episodes now. There's the vet, the war vet, that says, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. I'm like, I'm writing that down for my message right there. Like, he gets it. He's been a part of a unit. He knows you want to have a team with you. There's the family man that had a, somebody with him for two days, and he said those two days with someone else, it just made it easier. It just made it easier to share the work and laugh and have someone there, That's, which, is, which is what I'm talking about in life. And then you had this woman whose boyfriend told her before she left, 
You only think about yourself. You're always your own number one, and that won't work in a relationship. And then she's there on the island with this guy who is older than her, and, you know, but she said he's so friendly and warm, but she said, um, I'm too independent, and I can't imagine not doing everything on my own. And she said, two brains are better than one, but then they're cutting into your resources. So that was her thought. And there was another woman who was like, I don't need to depend on any man. She had such a chip on her shoulder. I don't need to depend on anyone. I can do this all by myself. I'm used to being on my own. And they sounded kind of angry about it. And you're like, okay, you know. But they had this sort of chip, the ones that were like, I'm going to do this by myself. Who do you think is going to get farther? The girl that wanted to be on her own had already been sustained for two days on the guy's food from his backpack because she found his backpack, and he was this big guy that loved to eat, and so it was full of granola bars and stuff. She had already used that partnership to sustain her. Doing life together is better than doing life alone. How do you be a friend? Be loyal. Listen. Challenge. Encourage. Sacrifice. And forgive. How do you make a friend? Be loyal, listen, encourage, challenge, sacrifice, and forgive. One of the most unique and powerful parts of friendship is found in being truly known, and that's only going to come with vulnerability. And that's the big step that a lot of women are going to have to take to build those friendships. To know you are loved and accepted, flaws and all, is a beautiful thing. And the only place to get that outside of Christ is in friendship. Let me pray. God, I thank you for how you built in us the need for others. Just in the body of Christ, like Paul talks about, how we need to be in community with each other. But even to see how Jesus lived his life bringing people around him, friendships, to expand the kingdom. And I know they brought him so much joy and comfort. And I ask that you would help us, God. As women, we're so intricately wired, and sometimes we can have a wall in some areas. And I pray for those right now specifically who are kind of lone rangers, and some have even prided themselves on it. They see it as a strength, and um, but there's a part of them that is missing out. And I pray, God, that you would show them step by step on how to just create some friendships, bring some more friendships into their lives. God, I pray that you would teach us all how to carve time out of our schedules to meet someone face-to-face for coffee, to say, how are you doing? How's your mom? How's your marriage? How's your son? How are you doing with your child going off to college? What's going on with you? That we could connect in a way beyond technology and truly be there for each other and pick someone up. We can't pick them up if we don't know they've fallen. So help us to stay connected with our friends in a real and genuine way. I know that you have that for us and that that will bring us Ah, refreshment and rest. I just thank you, Lord, for every woman in here. I pray this is a place where friendships are made and built and grown. Um, And I pray that each and every woman here um, leaves here knowing that you are with them and that you've touched them and that you have great plans for them. Amen.